0: Chapter 49, Part 2 of The Children of the Abbey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The Children of the Abbey by Regina Maria Roche. Chapter 49, Part 2. Lady Martha who was sitting at the head of the room, and only bowed as Amanda entered it, motioned for her to take a chair. A motion Amanda gladly obeyed, for her trembling limbs could scarcely support her. All was silent for a few minutes. Lady Martha then spoke in a grave voice. I should not, madam, have taken the liberty of sending for you at this hour, but that I believe so favourable an opportunity would not again have occurred of speaking to you on a subject particularly interesting to me an opportunity which has so unexpectedly saved me the trouble of trying to find you out and the necessity of writing to you lady martha paused and her silence was not interrupted by amanda last summer continued lady martha again she paused the throbbings of amanda's heart became more violent last summer she said again there were some little gifts presented to you by lord mortimer from the events which followed their acceptance i must presume they are valueless to you from the events about taking place they are of importance elsewhere she ceased but amanda could make no reply you cannot be ignorant said lady martha with something of severity in her accent as if offended by the silence of amanda you cannot be ignorant i suppose that it is the picture and ring i allude to the latter from being a family one of particular value i always destined for the wife of lord mortimer i therefore claim it in my own name the picture i have his lordship's approbation and authority to demand and to convince you i have indeed if such a conviction be necessary have prevailed on him to be present at this conversation no madam such a conviction was not necessary cried amanda i should she could utter no more at the moment yet tried to suppress the agonizing feeling that tumultuously heaved her bosom if not convenient to restore them immediately said lady martha i will give you a direction where they may be left in London, to which place Mrs. McQueen has informed me you are going. It is perfectly convenient now to restore them, madam, replied Amanda, with a voice perfectly recovered, animated with conscious innocence and offended pride, which always gave her strength. I shall return, continued she, moving to the door, with them immediately to your ladyship. The picture was suspended from her neck, and the ring in its case lay in her pocket. But by the manner in which they had been asked, or rather demanded from her, she felt amidst the anguish of her soul a sudden emotion of pleasure that she could directly give them back. Yet, when in her own room, she hastily untied the picture from her neck, pulled the black ribbon from it, and laid it in its case, her grief overcame every other feeling, and a shower of tears fell from her. Oh, Mortimer, dear Mortimer, she sighed, must I part even with this little shadow? Must I retain no vestige of happier hours? Yet why, why should I wish to retain it when the original will soon be another's? Yes, if I behold Mortimer again, it will be as the husband of lady euphrasia she recollected she was staying beyond the expected time and wiped away her tears yet still she lingered a few minutes in the chamber to try to calm her agitation she called her pride to her aid it inspired her with fortitude and she proceeded to lady martha determined that lady should see nothing in her manner which she could possibly construe into weakness or meanness. Never did she appear more interesting than at the moment she re-entered the apartment. The passion she had called to her aid gave a bright glow to her cheeks, and the traces of the tears she had been shedding appeared upon those glowing cheeks like dew on the silken leaves of the rose, ere the sunbeams of the morning have exhaled it. Those tears left a humble luster in her eyes, even more interesting than their wanted brilliancy. Her hair hung in rich and unrestrained luxuriance, for she had thrown off her hat, on first going to her chamber, and gave to the beauty of her face, and the elegance of her form, a complete finishing. Here, madam, is the ring, cried she, presenting it to Lady Martha, and here is the picture she would have added, but her voice faltered and a tear started from her eye. Determined to conceal, if possible, her feelings, she hastily dashed away the pearly fugitive. Lady Martha was again extending her hand, when Lord Mortimer suddenly started from a couch, on which he had thrown himself, and snatching the picture from the trembling hand that held it, pulled it from its case and flinging it on the floor, "'trampled it beneath his feet. "'Thus perish!' exclaimed he, "'every memento of my attachment to Amanda. "'Oh, wretched, wretched girl!' cried he, "'suddenly grasping her hand "'and as suddenly relinquishing it. "'Oh, wretched, wretched girl, "'you have undone yourself and me!' "'He turned abruptly away "'and instantly quitted the room. "'Shocked by his words "'and terrified by his manner, Amanda had just power to gain a chair. Lady Martha seemed also thunderstruck, but from the musing attitude in which she stood, the deep, convulsive, suffocating sobs of Amanda soon called her. She went to her and, finding her unable to help herself, loosened her cravat, bathed her temples with lavender, and gave her water to drink. These attentions and the tears she shed revived amanda she raised herself in her chair on which she had fallen back but was yet too much agitated to stand poor unhappy young creature said lady martha i pity you from my soul ah if your mind resembled your person what a perfect creature had you been how happy had then been my poor mortimer now now was the test The shining test of Amanda's virtue, agonised by knowing she had lost the good opinion of those whom she loved with such ardour, esteemed with such reverence, she knew by a few words she could explain the appearances which had deprived her of his good opinion, and fully regain it, regain by a few words the love, the esteem of her valued, her inestimable Mortimer, the affection, the protection of his amiable aunt and sister. She leaned her head upon her hand. The weight of her bosom became less oppressive. She raised her head. Of my innocence I can give such proofs, cried she. Her lips closed. A mortal paleness overspread her face. The sound of suicide seemed piercing through her ear. She trembled, The solemn, the dreadful declaration Lord Cherbury had made of not surviving the disclosure of his secret, her promise of inviolably keeping it, both rushed upon her mind. She beheld herself on the very verge of a tremendous precipice, and about plunging herself and a fellow creature into it, from whence, at the tribunal of her God, she would have to answer for accelerating the death of that fellow creature. "'And is it by a breach of faith?' she asked herself. "'I hope to be re-established in the opinion of Lord Mortimer and his relations. "'Ah, mistaken idea! "'And how great is the delusion passion spreads before our eyes, "'even if their esteem could be thus regained. "'Oh, what were that, or what the esteem, the plaudits of the world, "'if those of my own heart were gone for ever?' Oh, never cried she still to herself and raising her eyes to heaven Oh, never may the pang of self-reproach be added to those which now oppress me her heart at the moment formed a solemn vow never by any wilful act to merit such a pang and oh, my god she cried forgive thy weak creature who assailed by strong temptation thought for a moment of wandering from the path of truth and integrity which can alone conduct her to the region where peace and immortal glory will be hers amanda amidst her powerful emotions forgot she was observed except by that being to whom she applied for pardon and future strength lady martha had been a silent spectator of her emotions and thinking as she did of amanda could only hope that they proceeded from contrition for her past conduct forcibly awakened by reflecting on the deprivations it had caused her when she again saw amanda able to pay attention she addressed her i said i was sorry for witnessing your distress i shall not repent the expression thinking as i now do i hope that it is occasioned by regret for past errors The tears of repentance wash away the stains of guilt, and that heart must indeed be callous, which the sigh of remorse will not melt to pity. Amanda turned her eyes with earnestness on Lady Martha as she spoke, and her cheeks were again tinged with a faint glow. Perhaps I speak too plainly, cried Lady Martha, witnessing this glow and imputing it to resentment. But I have ever liked... The undisguised language of sincerity. It gave me pleasure, she continued, to hear you had been in employment at Mrs. Duncan's, but that pleasure was destroyed by hearing you were going to London, though to seek your brother. Mrs. Duncan has informed Mrs. McQueen. If this were indeed the motive, there are means of inquiring without taking so imprudent a step. Imprudent? repeated Amanda involuntarily yes cried lady martha a journey so long without a protector to a young i must add a lovely woman teems with danger from which a mind of delicacy would shrink appalled if indeed you go to seek your brother and he regards you as he should he would rather have you neglect him though that you need not have done by staying with mrs duncan than run into the way of insults. No emergency in life should lead us to do an improper thing, as trying to produce good by evil is impious, so trying to produce pleasure by imprudence is folly. They are trials, however flatteringly they may commence, which are sure to end in sorrow and disappointment. You will, continued Lady Martha, if indeed anxious to escape from any farther censure, than what has already fallen upon you, return to Mrs. Duncan, when I inform you, if indeed you are already ignorant of it, that Colonel Belgrave passed this road about a month ago, on his way from a remote part of Scotland to London, where he now is. I cannot help, said Amanda, the misconstructions which may be put on my actions. I can only support myself "'under the pain they inflict by conscious rectitude. "'I am shocked, indeed, at the surmises entertained about me, "'and a wretch whom my soul abhorred "'from the moment I knew his real principles. "'If,' said Lady Martha, "'your journey is really not prompted "'by the intention of seeing your brother, "'you heighten every other by duplicity. "'You are severe, madam,' exclaimed Amanda in whose soul the pride of injured innocence was again reviving. If I probe the wound, cried Lady Martha, I would also wish to heal it. It is the wish I feel of saving a young creature from further error, of serving a being once so valued by him, who possesses my first regard, that makes me speak as I now do. Return to Mrs. Duncan's. Prove in one instance at least you do not deserve suspicion. She is your friend, and in your situation a friend is too precious a treasure to run the risk of losing it with her. As she lives retired, there will be little danger of your history or real name being discovered, which I am sorry you dropped. Let your motive for doing so be what it may, for the detection of one deception makes us suspect every other. Return, I repeat, to Mrs. Duncan's, and if you want any inquiries made about your brother dictate them and i will take care they shall be made and that you shall know their result had amanda's motive for a journey to london been only to seek her brother she would gladly have accepted this offer thus avoiding the imputation of travelling after belgrave or of going to join him the hazard of encountering him in london and the dangers of so long a journey, but the affair of the will required expedition and her own immediate presence. An affair the injunction of Lady Dunreith had prohibited her disclosing to any one who could not immediately forward it, and which, if such an injunction never existed, she could not with propriety have divulged to Lady Martha, who was so soon to be connected with a family. So materially concerned in it, and in whose favour, on account of her nephew's connection with them, it was probable she might be biased. Amanda hoped and believed that in a place so large as London, and with her assumed name, which she now resolved not to drop till in a more secure situation, she could escape Belgrave. As to meeting him on the road, she had not the smallest apprehension concerning that naturally concluding that he never would have taken so long a journey as he had lately done if he could have stayed but a few weeks away. Time, she trusted, would prove the falsity of the inference, which she already was informed would be drawn from her persevering in her journey. She told Lady Martha that she thanked her for her kind offer, but must decline it as the line of conduct she had marked out for herself, rendered it unnecessary whose innocence would yet be justified she added lady martha shook her head the consciousness of having excited suspicions which she could not justify had indeed given to the looks of amanda a confusion when she spoke which confirmed them in lady martha's breast i am sorry for your determination said she but notwithstanding it is so contrary to my ideas of what is right, I cannot let you depart without telling you that should you at any time want or acquire services which you would or could not ask from strangers, or perhaps expect them to perform, acquaint me and command mine. Yet, in doing justice to my own feelings, I must not do injustice to the noble ones of Lord Mortimer. It is by his desire, as well as my own inclination, I now speak to you in this manner. Though past events and the situation he is about entering into must forever preclude his personal interference in your affairs. He could never hear the daughter of Captain Fitzallan suffered inconveniency of any kind, without wishing, without having her indeed, if possible, extricated from it. "'Oh, madam!' cried Amanda, unable to repress her gushing tears. "'I am already well acquainted with the noble feelings of Lord Mortimer, "'already oppressed with a weight of obligations.' "'Lady Martha was affected by her energy. "'Her eyes grew humid, and her voice softened. "'Error in you will be more inexcusable than in others,' cried Lady Martha. "'Because, like too many unhappy creatures,' You cannot plead the desertion of all the world. To regret past errors, be that what they may, is to ensure my assistance and protection, if both or either are at any time required by you. Was I even gone, I should take care to leave a substitute behind me, who should fulfil my intentions towards you, and by doing so at once soothe and gratify the feelings of Lord Mortimer. I thank you, madam. Cried Amanda, rising from her chair, and as she wiped away her tears, summoning all her fortitude to her aid, for the interest you express about me. The time may yet come, perhaps, when I shall prove I never was unworthy of exciting it, when the notice now offered from compassion may be tendered from esteem. Then, continued Amanda, who could not forbear this justice to herself, The pity of Lady Martha Dormer will not humble but exalt me, because then I shall know that it proceeded from that generous sympathy which one virtuous mind feels for another in distress. She moved to the door. How lamentable, said Lady Martha, to have such talents misapplied. Ah, madam, cried Amanda, stopping and turning mournfully to her. I find you are inflexible. Lady Martha shook her head, and Amanda had laid her hand upon the lock, when Lady Martha said suddenly, There were letters passed between you and Lord Mortimer. Amanda bowed. They had better be mutually returned, said Lady Martha. Do you seal up his and send them to Lord Cherbury's house in London, directed to me, and I will pledge myself to have yours returned? you shall be obeyed madam replied amanda in a low broken voice after the pause of a moment lady martha then said she would no longer encroach upon her rest and she retired in her chamber the feeling she had so long so painfully tried to suppress broke forth without again meeting opposition the pride which had given her transient animation was no more for, as past circumstances arose to recollection, she could not wonder at her being condemned from them. She no longer accused Lady Martha, in her mind, of severity, no longer felt offended with her. But, oh, Mortimer, the bitter tears she shed fell not for herself alone. She wept to think thy destiny, though more prosperous, was not less unhappy than her own for in thy broken accents, thy altered looks, she perceived a passion, strong and sincere as ever for her, and well she knew Lady Euphrasia not calculated to soothe a sad heart, or steal an image from it which corroded its felicity. Rest, after the incidents of the evening, was not to be thought of, but nature was exhausted, and insensibly Amanda sunk upon the bed, in a deep sleep, so insensibly that when she awoke, which was not till the morning was pretty far advanced, she felt surprised at her situation. She felt cold and unfreshed from having lain in her clothes all night, and when she went to adjust her dress at the glass, was surprised at the pallidness of her looks. Anxious to escape a second painful meeting, she went to the window to see if the chaise was come but was disappointed on finding that she had slept at the back of the house. She heard no noise and concluded the family had not yet risen after the amusements of the preceding night, sat down by the window which looked into a spacious garden, above which rose romantic hills that formed a screen for some young and beautiful plantations that lay between them and the garden. But the misty tops of the hills... The varied trees which autumn spread over the plantations, nor the neat appearance of the garden, had power to amuse the imagination of Amanda. Her patience was exhausted after sitting some time, and going to the door, she softly opened it to try if she could hear any one stirring. She had not stood long when the sound of footsteps and voices rose from below. She instantly quitted her room and descended the stairs into a small hall, across which was a folding door. This she gently opened, and found it divided the hall. She stood in from the one that was spacious and lofty, and which her passing through the preceding night, before it was lighted up, had prevented her taking notice of. Here at a long table were the men servants belonging to the family, and the guests assembled at breakfast. The piper at the head, like the king of the feast, Amanda stepped back the moment she perceived them, well knowing Lord Mortimer's servants would recollect her, and was ascending the stairs to her room to ring for one of the maids when a servant hastily followed her, and said the family were already in the breakfast room. At the same moment, Mister Colin McQueen came from a parlour which opened into the little hall, and paying Amanda in a lively and affectionate manner, the compliments of the morning, he led her to the parlour, where not only all the family guests who had lain in the house, but several gentlemen, who had been with them the preceding night, were assembled. Dr. Johnson had already celebrated a Scotch breakfast, nor was the one at which Mrs. McQueen and her fair daughters presided inferior to any he had seen. Beside chocolate, tea and coffee, with the usual appendages. There were rich cakes, choice sweetmeats and a variety of cold pastry, with ham and chickens, to which several of the gentlemen did honour. The dishes were ornamented with sweet herbs and wild flowers, gathered about the feet of the mountains and in the valley, and by every guest was placed a fine bouquet from the greenhouse, with little French mottos on love and friendship about them which, being opened and read, added to the mirth of the company. I was just going to send one of the girls for you, said Mrs McQueen, when Amanda had taken a place at the table, and would have done so before, but wish you to get as much rest as possible after your fatiguing journey. I assure you, madam, said Amanda, I have been up this long time, expecting every moment a summons to the chaise. "'I took care of that last night,' said Mrs. McQueen, "'for I was determined you should not depart, "'at least without breakfasting.' "'Amanda was seated between Mr. Colin McQueen "'and his eldest sister, "'and sought by conversing with the former, "'for the latter was too much engrossed by the general gaiety "'to pay much attention to anyone, "'to avoid the look she dreaded to see. "'Yet the sound of Lord Mortimer's voice,' affected her as much almost as his looks. Pray, Lady Martha, said the second Miss McQueen, a lively, thoughtless girl, will your ladyship be so good as to guarantee a promise Lord Mortimer has just made me? Or rather, that I have extorted from him, which is the cause of this application? You must first, my dear, answered Lady Martha, let me know what the promise is. Why gloves and bridal favours? "'but most unwillingly granted, I can assure your ladyship.' "'Amanda was obliged to set down the cup she was raising to her lips, "'and a glance stole involuntarily from her towards Lord Mortimer. "'A glance instantly withdrawn when she saw his eyes in the same direction. "'I declare,' continued Miss Phoebe McQueen, "'I should do the favour all due honour. "'I am sure,' cried Lord Mortimer, attempting to speak cheerfully, "'Your acceptance of it will do honour to the presenter.' "'And your lordship may be sure, too,' said one of her brothers. "'It is a favour she would wish with all her heart "'to have an opportunity of returning.' "'Oh, in that she would not be singular,' said a gentleman. "'What do you think, Miss Donald?' cried Colin McQueen, "'turning to Amanda. "'Do you imagine she would not?' "'Amanda could scarcely speak.' She tried, however, to hide her agitation, and forcing a faint smile, with a voice nearly as faint, said, That was not a fair question. The Miss McQueens took upon themselves to answer it, and Amanda, through their means, was relieved from farther embarrassment. Breakfast over, Amanda was anxious to depart, and yet wanted courage to be the first to move. A charm seemed to bind her to the spot where for the last time she should behold lord mortimer at least the last time she ever expected to see him unmarried her dread of being late on the road and she heard the destined stage for the night was at a great distance at last conquered her reluctance to move and she said to mr Colin mcqueen it was time for her to go at that moment lord mortimer rose and proposed to the young McQueens, going with them to see the new plantations behind the house, which old Mr. McQueen had expressed a desire his lordship should give his opinion of. All the young gentlemen, as well as the McQueens, Colin expected, attended his lordship. Nor did they depart without wishing Amanda a pleasant journey. Silent and sad, she continued in her chair for some minutes, after they quitted the room, forgetful of her situation, till the loud laugh of the Miss McQueen's restored her to a recollection of it. She blushed, and, rising hastily, was proceeding to pay her farewell compliments, when Mrs McQueen, rising, drew her to the window, and, in a low voice, repeated her request for Amanda's company a few days. This Amanda again declined but gratefully expressed her thanks for it, and the hospitality she had experienced. Mrs McQueen said on her return to Scotland she hoped to be more successful. She also added that some of her boys and girls would gladly have accompanied Amanda a few miles on her way, had not they all agreed, ere her arrival, to escort Lord Mortimer's party to an inn at no great distance, and take an early dinner with them. She should write that day, she said, to Mrs. Duncan, and thank her for having introduced to her family a person whose acquaintance was an acquisition. Amanda, having received the affectionate adieus of this amiable woman and her daughters, curtsied, though with downcast looks, to Lady Martha and Lady Araminta, who returned her salutation with coolness. Followed by two of the Miss McQueen's, She hurried through the hall, from which the servants and the breakfast-things were already removed. But how was she distressed when the first object she saw outside the door was Lord Mortimer, by whom stood Colin McQueen, who had left the parlour to see if the chaise was ready, and one of his brothers. Hastily would she have stepped forward to the chaise, had not the gallantry of the young men impeded her way. They expressed sorrow at her not staying longer among them, and hopes on her return she would. Pray, my lord, cried the Miss McQueens, while their brothers were thus addressing Amanda. Pray, my lord, almost in the same breath. What have you done with the gentlemen? You should ask your brother, he replied. He has locked them up in the plantation. A frolic was at all times pleasing to the light-hearted McQueens, and to enjoy the present one off they ran directly, followed by their brothers, all calling as they ran to Amanda not to stir till they came back, which would be in a few minutes. But Amanda, from the awkward, the agitating situation in which they had left her, would instantly have relieved herself could she have made the postilion hear her. But, as if enjoying the race, he had gone to some distance to view it, and none of the servants of the house were near. Conscious of her own emotions, she feared betraying them, and stepped a few yards from the door, pretending to be engrossed by the McQueen's. A heavy sigh suddenly pierced her ears. Amanda. In the next moment said a voice to which her heart vibrated. She turned with involuntary quickness, and saw Lord Mortimer close by her. Amanda, he repeated, then suddenly clasping his hands together exclaimed with an agonised expression, while he turned abruptly from her. "'Gracious heaven, what a situation, Amanda!' said he, again looking at her. "'The scene which happened last night was distressing. I am now sorry on your account that it took place. Notwithstanding past events, I bear you no ill-will. The knowledge of your uneasiness would give me pain. From my heart I forgive you all that you have caused.' that you have entailed upon me. At this moment, I could take you in my arms and weep over you, like the fond mother over the last darling of her hopes, tears of pity and forgiveness. Amanda, unutterably affected, covered her face to hide the tears which bedewed it. Let me have the pleasure of hearing, continued Lord Mortimer, that you forgive the uneasiness and pain I might have occasioned you last night. "'Forgive!' repeated Amanda. "'Oh, my lord!' And her voice sunk in the sobs which heaved her bosom. "'Could I think you were—you would be happy?' Lord Mortimer stopped, overcome by strong emotions. "'Happy!' repeated Amanda. "'Oh, never, never!' continued she, raising her streaming eyes to heaven. "'Oh, never, never in this world!' At this moment the McQueen's were not only heard— but seen running back, followed by the gentleman whom they had been prevailed on to liberate. Shocked at the idea of being seen in such a situation, Amanda would have called the postillion, but he was too far off to hear her weak voice. Had she then even been able to exert that voice? She looked towards him, however, with an expression which denoted the feelings of her soul. Lord Mortimer, sensible of those feelings, hastily pulled open the door of the chaise and taking the cold and trembling hand of amanda with one equally cold and trembling assisted her into the chaise then pressing the hand he held between both his he suddenly let it drop from him and closing the door without again looking at amanda called to the driver who instantly obeyed the call and had mounted ere the mcqueens arrived Oh, what a contrasted their looks, blooming with health and exercise, their gaiety, their protected situation, form to the one dejected, desolate Amanda. With looks of surprise they were going up to the chaise, when Lord Mortimer, still standing by it, and anxious to save his unhappy, lost Amanda, the pain of being noticed in such agitation, gave the man a signal to drive off. Which was instantly obeyed. Thus did Amanda leave the mansion of the McQueens, where sorrow had scarcely ever before entered without meeting alleviation, a mansion where the stranger, the wayfaring man, and the needy were sure of a welcome, cordial as benevolence and hospitality themselves could give, and where happiness, as pure as in this sublunary state could be experienced, was enjoyed. As she drove from the door, she saw the splendid equipages of Lord Mortimer and Lady Martha driving to it. She turned from them with a sigh, at reflecting they would soon grace the bridal pomp of Lady Euphrasia. She pursued the remainder of her journey without meeting anything worthy of relation. It was in the evening she reached London. The moment she stopped at the hotel she sent for a carriage And proceeded in it to Mrs. Connell's in Bond Street. End of chapter forty nine, part two.